0: Welcome, this is Anastasia Glova bringing you the Cato Daily Podcast. Be sure to log on to our website, www.cato.org, for a full archive of our podcasts as well as many other audio offerings. Yesterday, the Cato Institute hosted a forum on Andrew Sullivan's new book, The Conservative Soul, How We Lost It, How to Get It Back. The book explores how the influence of the religious right has affected political discourse and the conservative movement in America. Here to discuss that book is New York Times columnist David Brooks, a commentator at Yesterday's Book Forum. What did you think of Andrew Sullivan's book?
1: I guess I thought it was a strong book, the way all of Andrew's stuff is. I wake up every morning. and He's the first human contact I have. I turn on to his blog every morning, so I consider him a traveling companion as we've moved from Iraq to the future. So I feel this emotional bond with Andrew And the book didn't disappoint me in any way. I disagree with it, though, in a couple of respects. The first is he locates the central problem with the Republican Party and with conservatism as fundamentalism. And he describes sort of a worldwide spread of fundamentalism, whether it's Islamic or Christian. And I just don't think that's the essential problem. I think he takes a few quotations from people like Jerry Falwell and Pat Robertson, and tries to use it to describe the Republican Party. And I think those figures are completely underrepresented of religious conservatives and of the party as a whole. To me, the biggest problem we've had now is, has been the way the war has been mismanaged by Donald Rumsfeld and Dick Cheney. And Donald Rumsfeld is not exactly a Christian fundamentalist. And then the second problem I have, and this again, it's a halfway problem, I agree with him halfway and disagree, it concerns his solution, which he calls the conservatism of doubt, which is based on a philosopher named Michael Oakeshott, who's a great philosopher. Oakeshott said, be suspicious of what you can know because the world is complicated and don't try to judge by abstractions or things you read in books. And that's, of course, true. We have to be mindful of what we don't know. And that was a great insight, both of Edmund Burke and Hayek. Nonetheless, if you're running for office in a democracy, you can't base your platform on doubt. You'll never get elected. And if you're trying to run a superpower, you also can't base an agenda on doubt. If you're going to get involved in politics, you have to be aggressive. You have to stand for certain things. You have to be confident, even more confident than you may be inwardly. And that's why, in some ways, I like Andrew's blog in some ways better than the book, because in the blog, there's no conservatism of doubt. He's passionate, and there's a play of ideas. And so I, I admire the book, but I do disagree with these two fundamental ways.
0: But it is true that voters are becoming increasingly estranged from the Republican Party. Do you think that the alliance with Christian groups is playing any kind of role in this dynamic?
1: Well, I guess I'd say a couple things. The voters certainly are becoming disillusioned with the Republican Party. And That's for a number of reasons. One, they've lost their principles. I think they've lost an agenda. They have no agenda for the future. and It has to do with a whole number of reasons. Number one is Iraq. Number two is the pork barrel spending. Number three is just the corruptions of power. I do not, on the other hand, believe it has to do with the fact that the party has become more evangelical, if you want to put it that way. As the party has become more evangelical, it's become more successful. I'm not an evangelical Christian. I disagree with them on many issues, including gay marriage and abortion. Nonetheless, without the religious conservatives, this would be a small minority party. So the idea that one can simply say they're taking over the party and this is terrible for the party, politically, it's simply just not true.
0: In his book, Andrew Sullivan writes, I quote, conservatism has become such a large and sprawling complex of ideas that no one has a monopoly on the term anymore. Do you think conservatism is too bloated for itself that The bonds that form the coalition are too superficial to last?
1: I regard it as an exodus movement. You know, it started in the wilderness in the 1940s when there were just like three conservatives in the world, William Buckley, Milton Friedman, a few people at the Mont Pelerin Society. And then it grew and grew and grew through Goldwater, through Reagan, through Gingrich, and it kept growing. And as it grew, it became a majority coalition. And the thing about majority coalitions is they're filled with self-contradictory groups. When I first came to Washington in the 1980s, I used to go to these parties at Grover Norquist's house, and there were all sorts of conservatives there, all friends, all dancing to the same music. That doesn't happen anymore. We barely talk to one another. And that's a product of feuds and of money and power coming in. It's also a product just it's become a big movement, and there is no one thing called conservatism. In the one sense, that's politically healthy. The problem is that intellectually it's become much less interesting. And I think the daring ideas and the big books that conservatives really use to attack liberalism have petered out. And some of the big enemies have been slain the high tax rates, some of the overregulation, communism. But there hasn't been an intelligent discussion of the second generation of ideas like globalization and things like that. So I think the movement is running out of steam. Do I think it's going to fracture? Not necessarily in part because political partisanship is really powerful. And it's in everybody's interest, whether you're free market or evangelical, to sort of hang together. I think feuding the way majority coalitions do, they will hang together. I, do not, I never believe in this split between libertarianism and social conservatism. It always looks good on paper. It never happens in real life.
0: But it is the nature of political alliances to shift and to forge new ones. You don't see any kind of realignment happening within the conservative movement?
1: I certainly do see a realignment. If you look at just the accident of history who's going to be running the Republican Party, say— And it's worth noting that it used to be the conservative movement and the Republican Party were two different things, and that was healthier. Now they're the same thing. And so some of the independence of the conservative movement has been lost to the Republican Party. But if you look at the accent of history, who's about to take over the Republican Party? In my view, it's either going to be John McCain, Rudy Giuliani, or maybe Mitt Romney. None of these gentlemen are evangelical Christians. In Mitt Romney's case, it's not even clear he's a Christian. (laughs) And so they're much more unorthodox Republicans. So I do think the Republican Party is about to change dramatically, in part because of the just the way orthodox republicanism has been exhausted by the past few years. So there's going to be a big change, and I suspect it'll be friendlier to sort of northeastern Republicans, probably a little friendlier to free market types as somebody like McCain gets serious about spending, probably a little less friendly to social conservatives. But I think they understood that. And one of the paradoxes of this age is that Rudy Giuliani is now incredibly popular among social conservatives, a guy who's... Pro-choice, pro-gay marriage, pro-gun control, and, you know, left Gracie Manchin, left his wife in Gracie Manchin, moved in with two gay men. I mean, that's not your typical social conservative, but that's who they're supporting these days.
0: You said that conservatives have run out of steam. Is there an idea or an intellectual ideal that can help conservatives refocus?
1: Well, when I look at the big books that came out in the 1980s and 90s when I was starting my career, there were books like Wealth and Poverty by George Gilder, there was Charles Murray writing about welfare reform, there was Alan Bloom. There were a whole series of really big, important books which changed the way people looked at domestic policy, and then there were also books on foreign policy. When I look at the last few years, I haven't seen that amount, that same number of big impact books, and I think that's because blogs have taken up a lot of people's energy, politics has taken up people's energy. And Defeating Liberalism, which was the big enterprise of the 70s and 80s, has been accomplished. And therefore, those books don't exist. And the New Order problems are things having to do with inequality, global trade and the effects of globalization, Islamic extremism. And frankly, there hasn't been as much intellectual vibrancy on those issues.
0: But you don't think Andrews is that kind of book?
1: Oh, that's a, a good and difficult question. I think Andrew has a big following. Whether it is a conservative following anymore is a, is a question to me. Andrew stands for what he calls the conservatism of doubt, which is a conservatism which to me is not primarily based on religious values, though he would say he's a deeply religious person. But to me, and most problematically, it's not based on American values. Michael Oakeshott, his great hero, had two great suspicions. One is on the human need for achievement, on the idea that you should achieve and try new things and be super ambitious. Well, Americans are super ambitious. Oakeshott living in a cottage in rural England wasn't. But Americans are super ambitious, and there 's always been there 's a disjointedness between Oakshot and america and The second thing is we 're a creedal country, we believe in a creed, which is expressed in the Declaration of Independence. Oakshot really didn 't believe in creed, so i don 't think andrew 's book is going to galvanize a lot of Americans because it 's somehow a little different from the way I think Americans approach politics as I say, I think his blog is tremendously important, and he 's tremendously honest thinker in the, really the way George Orwell was. But politically, just analyzing it politically, I don't think it'll have a galvanizing effect on the way a lot of Americans look at politics.
0: If you enjoyed this program, consider subscribing to Cato Audio, a dynamic 60 minute monthly recording that brings you inside the Cato Institute for highlights from exceptional, one of a kind lectures and events on key issues of the day presented by nationally known scholars, authors, and political leaders. Cato Audio is available on our website as well as on iTunes and audible.com.